0: Hello and welcome to the Unpretty podcast. I'm Basma, and this is Chi.
1: We want to explore the world of beauty through the experiences and stories of people of colour.
0: In each episode, we will unpack different themes and topics, along with the help of some friends, experts, and people we just really love.
1: We've got lots to say, lots to learn, and we're here to do that with you.
0: So let's get to it.
1: All right, we're back.
0: We're back. Um, Chi, how many episodes have we done now? This is the eleventh episode. It's pretty impressive that we've done that many episodes, right? Not that not to toot our own horn, but eleven episodes is pretty good. It is. I mean, it is, and it isn't. Like, I mean, it's
1: obviously it's really good, but I feel like we've been doing this for a long time. So when I'm like, oh,
0: eleven, does not feel like that many? Well, if you think about it, eleven episodes. How many? Because it's every other week, right? So I guess I mean someone else can do the math. It's been a, quite a few months.
1: Yeah, twenty two weeks.
0: Yeah, that's which a lot. is. Over five months. It's quite interesting, actually, thinking even this episode, I originally, admittedly, was a bit sceptical. I was like, well, what can we really talk about with this one? But actually, we got into it. I feel like I've been I've been pushing this as like a discussion yeah. point.
1: But yeah, we did yeah. it, and here we are. But yeah, it's such an interesting thing. I mean, I guess I've talked about it on a past episode, but the whole idea of nude and what skin colour is seen as, you know, I from a very young age, was always taught, not by my parents, obviously, but at school, people around me, TV, whatever, Mm. magazines, that nude and skin colour was this peachy pink colour. So I remember when me and my twin were in nursery, we would refer to the peachy pink crayon as the skin colour crayon, which is just so... I don't know, I don't want to swear, but the only thing I can say is fucked up.
0: <laughs> what, we swear what would you say no. as
1: a non <laughs>
0: <laughs> Um A non swearer I actually, yeah, just didn't pause the don't swear. Um, I would agree with you, but I didn't ever think there was anything wrong with it. I just thought that's no. this is what it was, if I'm honest. I actually, as yeah. a child, also thought that that meant the colour underneath your skin anyway. I thought that's how oh. I, yeah, that's how I attached to it. Because I was like, well, it's not my, act. it's like my flesh. It's the colour of flesh rather than the colour of skin. I guess it's, it's the colour of, like, the palms of our hands, isn't mm. it? Mm. And, so it like, it the soles of our feet. I don't know. I think for me, I just thought, oh, I can find that colour somewhere, even if it's, like, underneath my skin. I never thought of it mm. as, like, that's what what's meant to be the colour of my skin. So, yeah, it's funny how kids think, huh?
1: Yeah, it is funny. Even, like, moving into adult life, and, like, we'll get into it in the episode, but the never-ending search for the perfect nude, and Mm. even, I stopped wearing tights, like four years ago Mm. completely because I couldn't find any tights that would match my skin tone Mm. and I find black tights quite jarring if I'm completely honest Mm. from my personal style like I know that you know Alexa Chung can rock a black tight and look great but
0: I just don't think it looks good on me oh I love a tight I love a black tight I wear black tights all winter Mm. long love a tight but actually I just remembered it I remembered something that happened when I was working at a certain magazine, I will not mention the name, Um, where one of the fashion directors was like, I hate brown tights. They should either be uh, sheer or they should be black. So anyone that wears brown tights is gross. And I was not in the conversation. I was around the corner and I looked down and I was like, oh, I'm wearing brown tights. <laughs> and I remember in my head thinking, I can never wear brown tights again because they're not, Skin color, sheer skin color, and they're not black. Mm. So I went home that night and I threw away all my brown tights. When actually, so I did you used to, to wear brown to tights? Mhm, mhm. Yeah, I used to brown. Oh my brown. god! But like, not my. I skin think of brown tights brown. as
1: being like super seventies.
0: Yeah, but why? Why? Why is that? Why is that considered like seventies? When like, what's the difference between that and like someone wearing, like, sheer tights that show their skin anyway? What do you
1: know what I mean? Yeah. Does that make sense? No, no, no. I get I get what you mean. That's the closest to a skin tone tight that we had before. Yeah. There was, a, it escapes me that but there was an M&S that my mum used to wear and I used to wear as well. It was just it was so horrible. <laughs> and I just remember my legs would always, it would always make my legs look super ashy. Mm-hmm. But mm. some people would still look at me and be like, oh my God, are you wearing bare legs? And I'd be like, are you mad? My <laughs> skin does not, is not this colour. Like, <laughs> Does this match my arms? No. Yeah. Do I look ashy all the time? Yeah.
0: No. Well, maybe they were saying you look ashy all the time, babes. <laughs> I know. Maybe it was an it was indirect, bloody tight. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, she, so I'm you might want to moisturise. Yeah. Can you just put some moisturiser on? But it looks chic. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm really excited to get into this because actually, um, really interesting to hear from these two, um, lovely, lovely women about their experience with nude, especially coming from a clothing i guess point of view and then from a makeup point of view. So yeah, I'm looking forward to this.
1: Me too. Let's introduce our guests. Yeah. Our first guest is Ade Hassan. She is the founder of Nubian Skin producing skin tone underwear and tights for women and men of color. Ade launched Nubian Skin in 2014 and consequently was appointed a member of the Order of the British Empire, otherwise known as an MBE, in the 2017 Queen's Birthday Honours for her services to fashion.
0: And we also have Anita Bakhawanda. Anita is a multi-award winning brand consultant, journalist, broadcaster and speaker and she's based in London. As a beauty and wellness brand consultant, Anita has worked with brands such as Freud's, YSL, Dove, L'Oreal and a gazillion more. She is also currently contributing beauty director at Glamour UK and was formerly beauty director at Stylist and Stylist.co.uk. Welcome, guys. So
1: before we start the episode, we like to always ask our guests how they identify ethnically.
2: So I am, I guess, British Indian, although I do, and you know, this is interesting in itself, but I always identify as sort of Welsh rather than British, even though you can't necessarily hear it that much in my accent. I've been in London quite a long time, but um, yeah, I, I do, I, well, I grew up in Wales and it's a very strong culture, so yeah, Welsh, Welsh Indian. <laughs> Welsh Indian,
0: love that. But
2: my parents are both Indian, they're both, they're both immigrants, they both came here sort of 40 years ago, so yeah. So
0: that is my background. So I'm black,
3: I, I'm British, but also Nigerian. So I was born in the UK. Both my parents are from Nigeria, and I grew up partially in Nigeria. So it's obviously a part of my culture that I strongly identify with, as well as, you know, strongly identifying with being British as well.
0: Interesting. So, Anita, can you tell us professionally? how yeah. you got to where you are, especially being Welsh and Indian. I'm going to now go with the Welsh. Tell us how you got <laughs> to where you are, your sort of rise into being beauty director.
2: It was quite, a, I guess struggle is definitely the word. So I um, I always wanted to be a journalist. That was always what I'd wanted to do. I started off in music journalism, but when I I moved from Wales to London, after I did a postgrad in uh, magazine journalism, and I just, once I was in my first music work experience placement I realized it wasn't quite right for me I eventually moved into features journalism I got my first job and then once I was on a features desk I saw the beauty desk and I was like oh my god that is that's is literally the job I want to do and I think the thing is is because we don't know what jobs are on, are on offer when we're younger we literally have no idea you're like given three options particularly if you're if you're Indian you're given literally two options it's like you either be a doctor or you be an engineer and you've got no other choices really so I didn't know that was a job and I saw it and I was like, yes, that's what I want to do. I eventually I moved from my first job on Top Sante magazine onto Stylist when I think it had been about six months since Stylist magazine had launched. They advertised for a beauty assistant, which at the time was quite revolutionary because the magazine industry and fashion magazines very typically never advertise their jobs, which has been one of the biggest issues with in terms of nepotism and very few magazines actually ever advertised those positions so that was one of the reasons it was really hard for anyone who wasn't you know didn't have a friend or a relative who worked on a magazine um, or who worked in certain sort of definitely you know um, quite elitist circles to get into magazines that was always a big part of the problem so when they advertised it I went for it I had a sort of sense that I was like oh I'm really I'm not going to get this because I don't look like one of the beauty editors. And I, you know, I'd seen all the beauty editors on the circuit. I was like, you know, they're all really blonde, super well off, you know, just lived in like different worlds to me. They were all, you know, super skinny and like existed on green juices. I'm, I'm a plus size woman. I was just like, I didn't look anything like them. And. I went for it and I somehow got it and I guess that was really the start of things for me because they really gave me a platform and a voice and they were really encouraging in terms of me talking about things that were important to me. So about six months into my role there I, I wrote a feature that went viral and this you know this was sort of like gosh like eight or nine years ago now and it was about how there weren't enough foundations for skin of color so this was before Fenty because Fenty is like 2017 I think maybe a bit earlier so this mm-hmm. was this is quite a while ago and it was one of stylists first viral features and I guess from then I sort of I realized that I had a voice and I could use it to sort of create change because from that feature MAC sort of changed how they educated people and educated their makeup artists and stuff like that and there was just a lot more I guess it's sort of brought open a lot of conversations and, and stuff like that. Yeah, so I guess from there I was approached to go and head up things at Women's Health when that opened. It was really brilliant, really interesting. And then after that, Mary Claire approached me to come and work with them um at Senior Beauty Editor. So I did that for a while. Then I um gosh what do they do I do move around quite a lot because I've got quite a low boredom threshold <laughs> um, <laughs> and then I uh after Marie Claire I went freelance for a while then I went back to stylist as features director which was quite a baptism of fire didn't quite realize how much how intense that was going to be trying I to find viral covers you told every job oh. yeah
0: and you were like yeah it's like quite a lot and I was like great though and you were like oh <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah I was really dear in the headlights but I kind of just went for it and I was quite buoyed by the fact that they were like we think you could do this even though you're like traditionally a beauty editor so it was a really great experience probably wouldn't do it again but it was a great experience <laughs> and then, <laughs> then I became beauty director at Stylist uh, I did that for a while then I went freelance and here I am and so as I said I I'm a contributing beauty director at Glamour which means I get to sort of dip in and out and just help out when I'm needed which is awesome but yes it's been I've been a beauty editor for just over 10 years now. Nice that's quite the CV
1: and Ade what's your story why did you decide to start Nubian Skin? Prior to Nubian Skin I had a background which was not
3: fashion related at all my career has predominantly been in finance and so I sort of started off in investment banking, and I'd always loved fashion, but it wasn't something I was going to study in school. It's a good Nigerian daughter and studied mm-hmm. economics. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, and then, you know, did my masters and 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 went got into banking eventually, which I actually enjoyed. And then I took some time off of work and sort of went to go live one of my dreams, which was to go live in Paris. And started thinking that I actually really wanted to start thinking about starting my own business because that had been a lifelong goal of mine. I then got a job in consulting, which wasn't my cup of tea, but that was when I came up with the idea for Nubian Skin because I'd been playing around with different ideas for businesses and it sort of was like, you know, a light switch went on and I thought, ooh, nobody, I could never find a nude bra, I could never find skin-toed tights, And I just thought, nobody's doing this. And I searched and searched and searched and searched and nobody was doing it. And so I thought, you know what, that's what I'm going to do. Obviously, the first thing I realized is that I was going to need money to do this. And so I went back into finance um, just because I knew I could make more money and save more money. But that that was kind of the origin of it. It was just not being able to find something that I wanted, realizing nobody was doing it and then realizing that actually if nobody's doing it then I can
0: do it myself because I know I need it and I know that there'll be lots of other women who do as well I love how simple you make amazing. that sound you make it sound that's just like well no one was doing it so I'm gonna do it <laughs> just start an entire business from scratch
1: yeah it's
0: amazing it's quite inspiration it? by fire but that was that was the thought But went in
3: a bit naively but that was the uh, that was the thought process behind
0: it i actually think black people Amazing. in general or people of color in general i think we all have this um baptism of fire approach to everything that we do <laughs> we wanted to talk about this whole concept of nude finding your nudes in whether it's clothing or makeup or whatever it is and obviously as you said Anita, you talked about it like nine years ago but the progression only really actually happened let's say three to four years ago properly. Like, I think brands are still doing it, but like 10 shades, 15 at a push. From your beauty point of view, why do you think it's taken so long for brands to sort of get to that sort of, hey, nude?
2: I think the main thing is that most beauty companies are run by white people and run by white men quite often. And it's it's not always a consideration. You know, as, as we've kind of, I guess we, we all know, you know, your the point of view of a person of colour is unless you're in the room is is quite often just not even considered and not it's not even a thought process to consider yeah. somebody who isn't who isn't white basically and I think that's probably one of the biggest things so when people sit down to create colors if there isn't someone of color they're going wait okay pink isn't a nude that, that that's what what happens and you know these brands these sort of lines are created without people actually realizing that nude is entirely like really big spectrum of colors so I think that's probably the biggest thing actually
1: and do you have it when brands get in touch with you and they're like this is the perfect nude lip and it's like one color do you have that that battle with them the difficult exchange does that happen often because I even see it on Instagram like I saw I won't name the brand but a black owned beauty brand that posted a picture of a beigey pink lip colour and called it the perfect nude, which I was even surprised by as a black-owned business. How does that exchange happen when you're speaking to brands, Anita?
2: For the most part, I think brands are... A lot of the brands I deal with anyway are very aware of it, so it hasn't been too much of a problem in the last few years. But in the past, it definitely has been an issue and I've always sort of fired an email back and been like, look, can't support this, won't feature this you need to know that this is an issue I would say it in a nice way because I do always try and come from a place of I guess education it's not my place to educate people but it is I do sort of say like this is what this means this is what this feels like mm. and sort of come from that angle you know in terms of you know explaining it in an emotional and relatable way but yeah I guess it's it's because of those brands you know largely being headed up by white men that these things do get ignored and yeah it does happen I have yeah. to say.
0: Ade, do you actually use the word nude in your company? Like, is that something? Is nude a, even like a shade for you?
3: Yeah, we I do use I use skin tone more than nude, if I'm honest. Um, but we do use the word nude, saying that these there are there are multiple nudes, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So we don't refer to one specific color as nude. Um, we always talk about a range of nudes, or we talk about skin tones.
1: Mm. Mm. I guess nude is more of a i suppose concept isn't the right word, is it but it's a it's a umbrella term for the exactly. entire spectrum
3: well that that's it. nude is the color of your skin that is, and skin everybody has a different skin tone, so um, yeah. by definition, it shouldn't be one
0: color. From Nubian Skin, from a brand point of view, actually, I think we're quite interested, or from a business even point of view, when you started the whole concept of Nubian Skin, did you start with like four shades of nude and then five shades? Like how did you choose the nudes? Mm. Well, so
3: it's funny because just speaking of Anita's experience, the first port of call when I was trying to figure out colours was to stop by foundation counters. And obviously there were some dedicated companies like Fashion Fair, because um, this is 2013, so not very long ago, when I started actively creating the colors. Fashion Fair and, and Black Up was sort of dedicated for women of color as you know having multiple tones. But I remember walking into a very large beauty department, I won't mention the shop, and going to essentially every major brand. And Mac had a few colours. You know, they probably had the strongest offering at that point, um, outside mm. of Fashion Fair and Blackup. But I was going to like the big hitters, and some just didn't have anything darker than beige. Like they had about 40 colours that were all cream to beige. Like it was, it blew my mind that in 2013 there were brands that literally just ignored the majority of the world's colours. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. And was that in London? That was in London. That's... That see, that's wild to me.
3: Um, and these are, like, big, big makeup brands. And so that was a very... That was just a bizarre experience. But yeah, I knew just because I was doing lingerie, which has a lot of SKUs, which is stock keeping units, basically lots of different options. So you've got lots of sizes anyway, that I would need to have a relatively limited number of colours because then otherwise it would just be way too big of a project. But after, initially, I think I was going to have six and ended up doing four, just speaking to, initially speaking to makeup counters, trying to figure out what, you know, the perfect colours in between the shades that would work well. Um, and then sending it off to factories, having them come back, trying to match them to Pantones. They were terrible. So essentially they were, all of our colours are custom because I had to sort of get the, fa- the samples back, say please add more red, make it deeper, make it more yellow so it actually matched a skin tone. Mm. And to this day, we, from all of our suppliers, we custom dye everything because wow. fabric manufacturers do not create those colors like they have white black and beige as the standard colors and so anything we make we have to order specifically
0: that is actually so interesting you custom wow. you custom make your colors because they aren't even yeah. there to use
3: hmm. which means that our, um,
0: our cost of doing good yeah is higher. your hmm. cost must be wild having to custom custom color yes
1: you'd think that when it comes to manufacturing especially with you know ballet pumps for instance so a product that we know as being nude skin color skin tone and I think it was like five or six years ago that there were more brands that were extending all of their shades so that you would think that especially now that there would be more options available from a manufacturing point of view there are not they're not
2: <laughs> no, They might have
3: like a fashion color which is a brown but usually it's not particularly nice as a skin tone so obviously yeah. when we launched there were lots of brands who thought oh that's a good idea and they you know thought they'd throw in like a mocha or a cappuccino to their collections but usually all of those colors just are not nice as far as skin tone colors
0: go because mm. they're
3: just not willing to you know put the investment in to get it right
0: that's actually interesting that you just described um describe the names that's one thing that we have talked about quite a lot when we were thinking about doing this episode is how some of the kind of shocking names that are described as nude um most recently there was M&S that came under fire for their darker shade being (laughs) called tobacco um and everyone was like cool right so that black tar that people think damages your body that's that oh that's for black people um and it is kind of funny because they obviously have to be given a name, but I guess from um, I guess from a beauty point of view, because that's kind of where most of the range is. Do names ever irk you, Anita? Do you ever notice names, and you're a bit like, ah, okay, we'll go with this, but like, no. Yeah,
2: I they do annoy me quite a lot, and I have to be honest, I can't understand why brands don't just give things numbers or letters or something like that. I don't mm-hmm. understand. Like you, you are creating unnecessary work for yourself by being sat in a room going, "Oh, what are we gonna call? What we gonna call this brown one? What are we gonna call this white one?" Do you know what I mean? I just think, do what Mac do, just give everything like a number or a letter, <laughs> yeah. so people know what, what they are, yeah. and you know. I mean number one they're really hard to remember so when you're trying to remember your shade it's it's really hard to go am I a mucker or a hazelnut <laughs> um but um like <laughs> yeah I just think they just run the risk of a being offensive and b just not being great you know Accurate, and quite often yeah. the, the paler shades have sort of a slightly more like a like a prettier association to them mm. um with the words that are chosen so you know like a porcelain or you know like those sorts of mm. things and then it does feel a bit othering to have these names around, like you know. As I said, you know, like you said, tobacco or um, mocha or no, I hate, I hate or... onyx. Onyx, yeah. You've hated onyx.
1: Onyx. <laughs> no, but onyx is onyx is like black black. Yeah, yeah. It's so yeah. inaccurate that it's it's beyond offensive that anything that I would consider as my skin tone is called onyx that's that's not okay would you stop would it stop you buying uh, it yeah i think so Mm. i'm also a bit weird about chocolate names i find chocolate names a bit like i get that it's you know chocolate is brown but it just makes me feel a bit funny makes me think about fertilization and just being called a Hot sexy chocolate mama, yeah, which obviously I've never been
2: called,
0: <laughs> but... <laughs> but have you <laughs> or have you? <laughs> um, as it, when it comes to naming your juice, you, is this something you take into consideration when you're naming your products? Uh, to be honest,
3: when I was naming my products, I just had fun with it. Um, and so our colors are cafe, au lait, caramel, cinnamon, and berry. I like cinnamon. Obviously, berry with. Yeah, Barry was the ton- tongue-in-cheek, you know, rapper the makes the darker, the darker Barry. Of Barry. exactly. <laughs> um, so mm. I just thought that was kind of a fun <laughs> cultural reference. Um, and yeah, I just kind of had fun with it. I know some people do find any sort of food names offensive, which I mean is entirely their prerogative to do. I took it from a place of fun and, and things that I, you know thought actually the colour is very accurate to the colour that I'm creating. But yeah, obviously you don't want to do something that would be just completely
0: offensive No, I do like the berry thought the dark of the berry yeah I do
1: I think with the extra context I'm like yeah that's that's actually hilarious well
0: because some
3: people are like okay we get like cafe day caramel and cinnamon they're like what the hell is berry and I'm like you don't know (laughs) 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 I'm like if you knew you would know (laughs) yeah that's very so um, that was
0: just a little bit of a yeah that was like a fun one for me that is
1: quite fun Anita maybe you'll remember this but L'Oreal came. out out with a super inclusive nude lipstick line at the end of last year and their names were things like No Dependency, no judgment, yeah. No prejudice. Yeah, cool. um
2: Yeah, I do. I do sort of vaguely remember. It. I get like so many new launches that it's like one in, one out. Yeah. But yeah, that is a really great thing to do, and the names and what I remember were quite fun, which is really good. And actually, Bobby Brown have got a new range of nudes coming out in September, and that's really awesome as well because actually, Bobby Brown were one of the original. Mm-hmm brands that did cater to women of color but my first foundation that matched my skin tone was actually a bobby brown that i found in america when i was 17 so it took me until i was 17 to get something that even vaguely matched mm. my skin and it was a bobby brown stick yes yeah, so the bobby brown have got these i think they've got 10 shades of nudes that they are coming out with which is really nice and they're all really pretty and lovely lovely colors so yeah, and it, it's awesome as you were saying with L'Oreal that the names were oh, quite nice. cool and quite fun. And You're you know, selling really, it. I know, I know. They should put, they should put me on commission. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's awesome that you know L'Oreal went with those fun names as well. So I think yeah, as, as you said, and as um, it, it's like having fun with names is great, and it it means that it's it's less there's less sort of stigma around. I don't know like the hazelnuts and I I seem to have a thing about hazelnuts I don't know why I think that's probably my color (laughs) um (laughs) so I'm like um but yeah I think it's it's cool to like play with names and stuff like that definitely
0: Fenty shook the world literally the beauty world we're like wait one not only is this incredible but also how does this not exist yet that's what threw me with Fenty anyway I was a bit like how is this not why are we so surprised by this? Like, why has this just happened? Like literally like two or three years ago, but they have a shocking 55 shades of foundation, which is actually, I'm not going to lie. I went into boots the other day to be like, I haven't tried Fenty. I'm going to give it a shot. And I was beyond overwhelmed. And I walked away. Cause I was just like, I don't, am I, am I this? <laughs> um, I was like, am I one of these four? And then it, there's so many shades. That I needed someone at the counter to help me. And you know, with COVID they can't, I mean, you can't be sampling stuff. So I was like, okay, I'm, mm. I'm I'm, done and I've wrapped this up. I'll maybe post-COVID think about this. But do you guys <laughs> think that, you know, that we do need 55 shades? Is that what that is? Or is there a happy medium between 55 to, like, five shades?
3: I mean, I think, and I'll probably need to take my share of it, because <laughs> of her expertise, but from sort of a layman's perspective in beauty... I think the more offering there is, the better. Obviously, a lot of times when you'd look at, you know, a lot of the big brands, they'd have 30 that were just pale shades. And yeah. our my skin has so many different sort of undertones. And, and so why not have as many? Um, also before Fenty, there were, because I, I do, um, you know, fashion fair especially it was such a groundbreaker when it came to creating colours for women of colour because they had about 45 prior you know this is like from the 70s Mm -hmm. they were like our mother's generation of makeup Mm -hmm. Um, so Did exist, but obviously just not with the sort of star power and the accessibility that Fenty
2: Fenty had. I think there were brands doing it before Fenty. So, as I said, I think MAC were one of the originals that were were doing shades for women of color. Actually, before that, Lancome were pretty good. And there were a whole, there were lots of brands actually, sort of, I guess, maybe seven or eight years ago that went, actually, right, we need to sort this out. So, there were brands doing colors, but I think Fenty being I guess not it's it's a whole thing of a, a lot of brands will bring out a certain set of foundations usually towards the pale end of things and then they'll go okay we're going to extend our shade ranges and that's the mm-hmm. issue for me um mm-hmm. you know not every brand can afford to launch with 40, 50, 60 shades. They mm-hmm. can't, like, it's, it's, it needs backing. You know, Fenty is owned by LVMH It does mm-hmm. need money behind it to do that. For me, where, what brands need to do is, if they can't afford to necessarily launch 50 shades, mm-hmm. is launch 20 shades, but make sure you go mm-hmm. from really light to really dark and you are showing that you are for everyone. Great, you know, extend your shade ranges in six months to a year um, to make sure you can cover more within that, but make sure you are covering light to dark so that you, this is for everyone and that you are signifying, even if it is just a signifier, that you are signifying that this is for everyone. So that's kind of my thing with brands, I guess, from an industry industry perspective, knowing that it can be tricky to formulate that many shades all at one go. Um, but that said, I do think there are brands that do that really well post Fenty. So Makeup Revolution, because, you know, Fenty is still... You know, I think I feel like the foundation's probably about thirty quid or 20, 30 quid. Yeah, you know, it's that not is cheap. still a lot. It's not cheap. That's still a lot for a lot of girls, particularly young girls. So makeup revolution is really cheap and generally have a really great shade range. Mm. Particularly, like yeah. their concealers are really good. So there are other brands who are starting to, I guess, use Fenty as a benchmark and make sure they either hit that or go above that. Morphe is another one. Mm-hmm. So I think Morphe does actually have the biggest like, foundation Morphe. shade range now. Yeah, they've got sixty shades yeah. in wow. one of their foundations, which is, I think, the biggest on the market. but, but you, Yeah, it's, it's made a very, everyone pull up.
0: Um, an interesting point you you did you've made though I and I guess we would have never thought about that is that like yeah groundbreaking that Fenty have done these 55 shades but yeah if you're backed by an incredible multi-billion pound corporation like of course you can afford to put out 50 shades 55 shades and maybe for other brands it's just not that easy not to say that they can't obviously have the you're saying from 20 like 20 different shades but yeah like it's not that fair so um Yeah. yeah it's a very good point
1: it's true, but I guess it is, I I agree, like obviously massively backed with huge funding, but also from a marketing point of view, you know, if Fenty had launched with just 20 shades, it wouldn't have got the story that yeah. it got. Mm-hmm. And actually it's almost set this benchmark, cause as soon as Fenty launched, everyone else was like 55, 56, mm-hmm. 57, 58. Mm-hmm. All brands were launching, or this colour inclusive brands that were launching everything was like 50 plus. But Ade, after you've started your brand, like in recent years, obviously mm. you talked about other brands who have tried to do the same as you, but, you know, are using stock colours from suppliers. Have you seen a huge uplift in brands essentially jumping on the bandwagon that you started?
3: Yeah, I think it's sort of the first two years that the, I think people were basically waiting to see if, We failed or not to see if they were going to dip their toes into the market. But um, I mean, if I go through our order lists, because we've had every single, pretty much every single major lingerie brand order from us, essentially doing market intel on our colors. And so I think the lingerie industry is still way, way, way behind the beauty industry. Mm -hmm. But there are definitely more brands now that are, you know, um, just based on. The people who've ordered from us, we know, have, you know, thought about actually maybe we do need to look into this. I know some people have sort of paid lip service and tried to make do with what's generally available in the market. And then there are other brands who've actually, you know, essentially used our colors and and done a better job. And so I think there's a lot of progress to go, but it's slowly starting to get there. And one of the biggest things, even if people aren't, creating multiple nude tones that I've seen is people starting to rename um colours. So whereas they would have black, white and nude, they've started going actually let's not call that nude, let's call that, you know, peach or something, you know, just to sort of step away from the one nude fits all.
0: Ada, question yeah. for you. One nude fits all. How yes. do you feel about kim Kardashian skims so to be if
3: i'm 100% honest i actually haven't like ever been on that website i think the the kardashians are a force Mm. of their own when it comes to marketing and when it comes to you know creating either controversy or a buzz and so i know there's lots of people who love the brand whether that's because they love Kim Kardashian or because the products are actually good, I've never tried the products so I can't speak to them. But from a customer perspective, I think having options is always a good thing. You know, having options so that if you feel that if you want something, you can get it. From a consumer perspective, that's brilliant. Obviously oh, that is the brand so, That's just, so PC of you.
0: So <laughs> polite with <rest laughs> the customers. Can what have. I think
1: about skims? <laughs> I just think about, I don't know whether everyone else saw the face mask drama that went down at the beginning of lockdown, Yes, where they launched all of their nude face masks. And then the, we're going back to the Onyx thing, (laughs) the um, black model, her nude was actually black, which was wild. I think it's
3: also knowing that sparking controversy and getting people to talk about things is a very, very powerful marketing tool. And it's one that mm. I think they excel at. Obviously when Skims first came out, I think it was called. Oh, uh, no, no, There you go, right? In and of itself, oh. I mean, oh. that was done to create controversy, but it gets people talking about it yeah. and then it gets people talking about the product. So I think obviously it, it's, it's distasteful to do things like that. However, it, it works as far as getting people talking about your brand and then being able to sort of usurp that energy and then sell.
2: Do you think it was definitely done for that reason? Or do you think, because I I thought it was very much that they just hadn't like, they're just so in their own bubble that they've got no like idea of what exists outside of that. And they didn't even realize that it would be offensive or that it was cultural appropriation or do do you definitely think it was done for a strategic reason? Uh,
3: Yeah. I haven't got a clue because I don't, I mean, I don't know, if, you know, I have no idea who's behind their <laughs> marketing, um, but I think they've done well selling off of creating controversy. Yeah. So yeah. It. To be honest, from how things work with them, it wouldn't have been actually a bad move as far as marketing goes.
0: Yeah. That's so interesting that con- co- creating controversy can be thought of as not a bad move. You know, like, the actually... Well, it
1: hasn't been a bad move. It hasn't been a
0: bad move for yeah. them. I mean, look at yeah. the entire sort of
3: brand is is mired in that, so... Yeah. And, and it Literally, felt... the
1: most unexpected people that I know, like, the coolest people who I would have thought wouldn't buy into the Kardashian empire were obsessed with skims.
0: You can't buy mm, it, can which... you... Can, I don't think it's very expensive to get it over here in the UK, isn't it, because it's overseas
1: yeah but people were people were spending that money wow. which I find crazy wow.
0: you know obviously now we've got plasters ballet pumps crayons underwear all these things that are becoming all the spectrums of news that you can have and all the different shades like it's kind of funny the crayola one especially and plasters that sort of just arrived like a week ago like everyone's like wait they don't have plasters <laughs> which I I don't know just like even if. I like that they've done it, but but do you I know what art.
1: I was um yeah that was elastoplast, but I was actually researching and Tesco launched their own brand of you know a range of shades of plasters like back in February, but that just didn't really get very much attention. Tesco's mm. wow. yeah they'd launched it in, um, they launched it in they launched it and before that about. I'd say 2015,
3: 2016, a brand called True Colour ah, Bandages mm-hmm. launched in the U.S. Because um, I know we spoke a lot with them, obviously, just because of the similar nude things. And so it was a, I think they were a white couple in the U.S. And they had either one or two children who were adopted who were black or mixed race. And, and they were like, our kids can't get this. And so they created a whole, you know, a whole range of plasters. Hmm. And then a couple of
0: years after that, Tesco came out with it well none of these people had kardashian b- funding to brand to <laughs> basically let the world know it's the problem <laughs> but what yeah, do but you maybe guys maybe what do day. you guys think is next what is the next thing that doesn't have nude oh yeah it's interesting
1: we've been trying to think about we, this we well, do we but... do so
2: like leboutin i think it was in like 2016 yeah. mm. launched all of their shoes so we've got we've kind of got court shoes but I guess to a certain extent you know you have to be able to afford those shoes Mm. so I guess it's maybe Mm. about the accessibility of things and having stuff on you know both ends and I don't necessarily agree with fast fashion at all I'm quite anti it but I understand that some people can't not buy that um so you do sort of need
3: stuff on both ends I think
1: Um, yeah I agree with that yeah
3: I think it's the it's the accessibility it's being able to because even though we you know, have colours or, you know, in our lingerie or there's brands like Fenty. I think if you really reach parity when a young Indian Welsh girl can walk into her super drug in (laughs) Wales (laughs) and pick up a foundation that matches her skin tone, right? Or somebody who lives maybe not in a major, you know, city can walk into a shop and say, actually, I can find tights in my colour, I can find a bra in my new tone. I think that's where we need to go next is people being able to find it with the same ease that their white counterparts can find yeah yeah I agree
0: with you
1: yeah no I agree Anita and Ade actually so as part of this episode we are ourselves testing out various nude lipsticks Mm. to find our perfect nude because weird thing that's happened we are all over 30 and none of us in our 30 plus years have found our nude lip have you found your nude lip? And how did you find it? What what makes it your perfect nude lip?
2: Do you know what I have a few. So my lips are um kind of like darker on the outside and sort of pink more pink on the inside. And they have changed over over time as well. So a lot of people of colour, the your lip color can change over time as you get older from different things so Mm. sort of post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation if for some reason you've got an irritation which I I used to get eczema on my lips sometimes so that's why mine have darkened Mm. a little bit so that's just a just a point to note my perfect nude and it was actually Terry Barber from MAC who sort of got me onto this and he was sort of like actually your lips are a tiny bit gray so if you want to go with a sort of pink color you need a pink that has a little bit of gray in it and I found one by quite a niche American brand called Edward Bess um, and I think and the, the lipsticks are really lovely I think they get them in I mean I don't think it exists anymore but Henry Bendel's I think you should be able to get it there oh, <laughs> piece
3: Henry I know it's so <laughs>
2: lovely I love those old chintzy American stores and it's really nice it's, it's sort of a grayish dark pink they said Bobby Brown is actually really great for these colors And they're probably one of my favorites. And there's a Fenty lip gloss as well. That's a really great nude. um, I can't remember the name of it. That's a really lovely color as well. So there's definitely options out there. It it does just, I think it's almost getting the right texture with a nude lipstick. I think you've got to, they can't be too opaque because sometimes they look, Mm. I think, particularly on skin of color, when you do have different nuances and tones in your skin, it can look a little bit superimposed if you get something that's really, really block. So it needs to have a little bit of a sheen and a bit of translucency. Is that a word? I made that up. Yeah. Um, I agree to it. That.
0: Good advice. Yeah. Great advice. I don't yeah. know what about you. Yeah. I, you know what? When I
3: was oh, like 20, there was a Bobbi Brown. It was a lip. It's like a gloss, but it's a very thick gloss. I don't know if they make it anymore, but that was a really good color. And now I've got two that I love. One is actually on the bottle. It's by Smashbox and it's one of their um, lip glosses and it looks orange, but when you put it, it's got a little bit of shimmer in it, but when you put it on, it's literally just like enhances my lip color. It it doesn't look orange at all, but it's kind of just like perfect. It's just perfect. And then lipstick wise, I use Dual Addict. I think it's called Side Roll, Roll, S-I-D-E-R-A-L. And the color looks the tiniest bit like a plummy purple but with lots of shimmer but when i put it on it's just like the perfect nude slightly the teensiest bit of like a plummy color on it and i love that that's like if i was to wear that every day that would be kind of the color that i would go for mm, so nice Interesting. I like
0: okay
3: down.
1: we'll add. Add that to our list exactly. to try. Yeah, but I agree with,
3: agree with Anita that you don't, like I would never do like a matte uh, sort of block colour for a nude because mm. that just would be a bit weird. Mm. I think it does have to have be like a little bit, have a little bit of transparency to it. Mm. There is actually
2: a really great brand that I've just remembered, and I think they're they're owned by sort of three like millennial millennial sisters. It's called Citizen, so I think it's C T Z N, and they specialize in nudes for all different all different skin tones in terms of lipstick. So they're something to check out if you don't want to oh. buy from a, like a huge great big conglomerate. So they're a brand to check out. And also the other thing that just occurred to me is is as well as getting a lipstick is finding a nude nail polish.
1: Mm. Um, Mm. It's an interesting
2: one that people don't often consider actually. And I think quite often the nude, when you assume a nude, the the nude that's assumed is ballet slippers by Essie, And it's that really super white pink colour. And I always remember, I remember when, I got first got that as a beauty assistant years and years ago and I, I put it on and I was like, oh, this looks really weird on me. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't think it would look good. But um, yeah, it, it just I remember thinking, yeah, yeah, that's not for me. That's not for me. That's a good one um, though. Nail
0: polish is a good shout. Yeah, yeah. I have actually searched for the perfect nude in nail polish and I haven't found it yet. There we go. That needs to be the next fan. Right. Someone tell someone. My
1: nail beds are almost like a pinky brownie yellow. Well, like that's quite a hard.
0: Someone needs to figure it out that's somewhere.
1: Well, what pearls of wisdom do you have for us?
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, nails ink do have a tonal set, which is quite nice, and it's got sort of a dark, sort of like a quite a like a cool toned brown in it, and there's a few sort of peach, like there's there's sort of a range from like. Sort of an off beigey colour down to sort of quite a dark plummy brown, and that's quite nice. And it comes in like a little set of four, from my memory. There's also there's a brand called emelin Cosmetics mm. as well, which I'm pretty sure is um, like writing, black owned. And they you're writing, i like writing it down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do.
1: Um,
2: I'm pretty sure that they've we got can. some really nice nudes as well, actually, and, and ones that have got like a little bit of like plum to them or you know have got like a bit of an edge to them as well so that's something to check out for sure okay
0: Anita. basically can you send us all an email and let us all know and we'll just look into all these things
1: (laughs) (laughs) so we're gonna wrap up but just before we finish we've got two questions for you our first question is a question that we ask all of our guests at the end of the episode when did you first realize that you were beautiful um
3: Thing. that this I mean I don't know if this is normal or not but I sort of grew up thinking I was beautiful um nice. I my mum I think both my parents one I like worship my mother if you ever listen to any like interviews which reference parents I've like thought about my mum all the time and so for me she was like the height of being beautiful and then growing up I just I think I just was surrounded by family who always said, you know, you're pretty or you're, um, and so that was kind of, you know, I didn't necessarily think I was the most beautiful person in the world, but I grew up with um, a decent amount of self-confidence and feeling very happy with my looks and my, in my own skin. And I think when I was about 12 or 13, I think when we moved to America, when I was 14, when we moved to America, getting into all these magazines. And I remember thinking, my nose doesn't look like these women. And as I say, I like worship my mom. And I remember saying to my mom something about my nose. And she just looked at me. She goes, huh, I always thought that your nose was great. No, it was my lips. It wasn't my nose. It was my lips. And she goes, I was like, oh, my lips don't look like this. Um, And she goes, I always thought that your lips were the most amazing lips. And for my mother who I thought was like the most gorgeous person in the world to like somehow think that my lips were like great I was like oh I've got the best lips in the world so um yeah so I kind of always grew up being happy with my looks but when I did have that sort of moment of being like hang on I don't look like the people on the magazine I think my mum reinforcing that just now I look back at it and I'm like wow she was a genius but back then I like her <laughs> <client> <laughs> <finger>. <laughs> So
0: nice. just
1: said it so passively but yeah. that's that's amazing and Anita what about
2: you so mine has been a much more recent thing and it is I'm not gonna lie it's something I still really struggle with so as a very quick backstory I did have um, a lot of self-esteem issues growing up and that came from being in a very white school, in a very white country uh, in Wales, and from only really seeing or engaging with media that had white people in, and you know the dominant aesthetic or definition of beauty was thin, blonde, you know, blue-eyed. So I, I did really struggle with that when I was younger. And so for me, it's probably only been in the last few years. And so I'm 35, no, 36 now. Um, so it has been quite a recent thing for me, and that has come from really just unpicking things myself and through therapy and through expanding my beauty icons and really looking back at history a little bit and sort of unpicking things so mine has been a much more recent one Quite yeah. sweet though.
0: also I think it's Anita nice for one. you as well um obviously following your journey and you embrace being gothic and you love being goth and it's something that you talk about but obviously that comes with a journey because it's a bit of like a people I guess always have such negative connotations to the gothic idea, so sort of wanting to be that, but also fighting that at the same time.
2: Yeah, I think the other thing as well with being a goth. So I, a, I've got a lot of sort of otherness in in lots of different ways, but yeah, being a goth as well. The dominant aesthetic in in gothic mm. culture is being white. So actually, I always remember the first time I it was one of the first times I came to London when I was in uni. I saw a black girl who was a goth, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is amazing!" And it was first time I'd seen another non white goth mm. in my entire life, and. I guess yeah being on the fringe of that subculture in terms of not being the you know the ideal type in that subculture so it it kind of came from lots of different angles but I've come to a place where actually Mm. now I I really embrace the difference and I think actually another thing was being in an industry so magazines and beauty the beauty industry and and women's magazines and being you know the, the very much the assumed idea of beauty was you know as I said it was kind of like slim you know blonde hair blue eyes blah, blah blah all of these things so actually it's taken quite a long time for me to extrapolate myself from all of that conditioning after yeah. 10 years in the beauty in, in, in sort of women's magazines to go no actually I define what beauty means to me now
1: mm-hmm.
0: Awesome. Oh, Thank so you lovely! Me. before we let you go can you guys let us know where we can find you on the internet so nubian skin is easy it's just nubianskin.com and nubian skin is
3: our handle on twitter and instagram and it's just forward slash nubian skin on facebook as well so that's all very easy and i'm um, personally my instagram is um it's ade hassan so that's just Get my name and Anita?
2: Yeah, for me it's it's pretty easy. So I am at It's Me, Anita B, pretty much on everything, but mainly on Instagram.
1: Listening back over that episode, Hmm. I mean we recorded it two weeks ago, and it was the same week that Jacob Blake was shot about seven times by a police officer in the US. And I don't know just hearing myself I can I can hear how affected I was by that but at the time I don't think I was fully aware of my feelings.
0: Yeah I kind of agree with you we kind of um it's funny with black trauma a little bit isn't it because you you sort of are like okay well yep that that's, ha- that's happened again and you sort of know that you just have to keep going and keep working and keep doing whatever you're doing but actually there's an unwavering uncomfortability every single time something happens and you're trying to work through it. So yeah, I mean, I mm. didn't notice, but it was um what a tough week. What a tough one. Yeah, um,
1: what a tough week.
0: Tough week. Tough I think year.
1: the important thing that I've learned is that it's about just doing temperature checks on yourself mm. and like mm. I have since done that and realized that that's why I was feeling a bit heavy. Yeah. And then obviously yeah. We lost Chadwick Boseman, mm-hmm. and that added to it. Gosh,
0: um, yeah, Chadwick it's really been a tough me. few weeks. <laughs> yeah, Chadwick was hard. Chadwick really, yeah, that really, really hit me. Um, Almost more so in the sense of when you don't know that someone's really suffering. You have no idea they're suffering until they've mm-hmm. suffered and enough. And yet they can achieve so much at the yeah. same time. Yeah, makes you think about it here own achievements as well in a way but um beautiful celebration of his life and beautiful amount of work that he created but yeah definitely felt it but in a way that's what the beauty of this episode was because you can sort of it was quite positive yeah there's changes mm. to be made made and there's still things that we can move forward with and what can you know we still could do with some nude um nail polishes <laughs> but in general um we have made strides in this department like you know nudes are on the rise
1: Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of inclusivity. But I think my biggest question that I was left with after that conversation is, should we even still be using the word nude if it has this connotation that I think everyone instantly thinks of this specific colour, this very Mm. monolithic colour when they think of the word nude? Mm-hmm. Before they then start to apply it to what nude means to themselves, sure, should we yeah. still be using the word?
0: I have an issue with us being like, should we stop doing this? Should we stop doing that in twenty twenty? Because by the end of we get to this year, we're gonna have nothing left. I don't think we should stop it <laughs> because I think that we should have those challenges. Like mm. I think that this needed to be a discussion point. It needs to be discussed, and if we were eradicated nude, it's almost like you're pushing and you're just getting rid of what is actually quite a bad. Not bad, but what's a thing that needs to be discussed? Deleting yeah, it doesn't mean But maybe mean
1: it's... it's not deleting it, it's changing it in the same yeah. way that, you know, there's certain words from our language that have been removed, not removed as such, but they they're obsolete because they've lost the real connection to its actual meaning. And therefore yeah. we have to find another word that's more relevant and more universal that Makes sense. I think okay. it's not. I'm not talking about cancel culture here, Baz. <laughs> yeah, <I'm> just like, <laughs> cancel
0: words out of the freaking dictionary. I'd be like, we're you not <laughs> word anymore. But yeah, I think it's about changing that narrative and changing the way we speak about skin tones and skin colors versus just canceling out a word. So yeah, I totally hear yeah. you.
1: Yeah. On a side note, mm-hmm. we haven't talked about all of the September issues.
0: Yeah the the reign of the black people. <laughs>
1: Which was the cover
0: the cover of every September issue.
1: And October. It's like seeped into October issues as well. I yeah. I liked this time around. I wasn't as shooketh as I was in 2017, was it? Mm. I think that it felt more... I mean, it felt reactionary, don't get me wrong. But we were seeing different faces. And that's what I liked about it. It wasn't Beyonce. Rihanna got one cover. There was no like Tandy Newton. Do you know what I mean? Like it was it was different. Clara, Clara Ampho got like Oh three our Clara. Covers.
0: Our Clara. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, I'm not yeah, I agree with you in terms of I didn't um it felt a bit more authentic this time round, but I was still definitely shooketh. Um I was still definitely like, <laughs> oh, 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 what's gonna happen? Because to be honest, I feel like what happens after the september issue you know okay cool we're making this stance because the september issue is a big deal to people who work in the industry not to really anyone else and then after the september issue what's the next stage what happens in like the march issue you know or the the january issue i um, the september issue has always got to make a stance that's its point i want to know if we're making a stance and standing by that past september
1: well, what we've seen so far with John Boyega on the cover of GQ mm. and Tracy Ellis Ross on the cover of dreamy. LUS. Yeah, dreamy. I feel like, I mean, let's see. As we say, we can't come to any conclusions right now, but it it felt like a springboard to a more inclusive future. And I just, I liked the diversity and I liked as well that it wasn't just black people.
0: Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. you
1: know, there were not many but still a few non-black faces on the covers of magazines and because that's the thing about this diversity conversation people think it's just about like having a black person in the room and it's not just about black people as much as you know I'm pro-black every day
0: pro-diversity every day yeah (laughs) and (laughs) (laughs) pro-everyone (laughs) pro-everything Well, cool. Let's get on to the next episode after this one and figure out what else we're going to talk about.
1: Mm. Just a note to our listeners, as I mentioned in the episode earlier, we're trying out our nude, nude, so <laughs> lipsticks, because yeah. none of us have found our perfect nude. Very, very excited to go through this journey.
0: Literally. So
1: check us out on @unprettypodcast on Instagram and let us know what you think.
0: Yeah, I'm actually really excited to just sit down and play with those lipsticks. So, um, yeah, it'll be a big cute little feature, and hopefully we can help other people find out different products and different brands that you wouldn't have thought of to go to for your nude. So, yeah, check it out. Right,
1: let's wrap up. Until next time, you have been listening to the Unpretty Podcast, hosted by me Chi Ufodiyama
0: and me Basma Khalifa. Not forgetting our producers. Shout out to Aisole for booking our amazing guest and Kidding Visits for managing this whole Special thanks
1: to Xenia Geller for our artwork and Enoch Colo for our soundtrack.
0: If you like what you heard and want to hear more, please make sure you subscribe, rate us and make sure you tell all your friends.
1: And follow us on at Unpretty Podcast on Instagram and Twitter for more updates. Until next time.